you, you feel like a stranger in a crowd when you've lost someone. And, and it often takes just one or two people that, were, that will consistently go out of their way to stand in, in front of you and acknowledge you because when you're acknowledging the person, you're acknowledging their pain. That death, <laughs> we hold it away. And because of that long-standing kind of thinking, when somebody we know mm -hmm. passes away, oh, I can't go there. Yeah. Part of their healing is they need community. They need us. And we're kind of sometimes watching the person who's lost someone. Uh, you know, hey, they haven't been in church three weeks. Oh, they showed up. Wonderful. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That's why we do what we do here in the, these podcasts. Uh, my name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host, and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, uh, which is all about bringing support and encouragement to hurting pastors and ministry leaders. Hey, have you ever been in a situation where someone is grieving the loss of a loved one? And you don't know what to say. Sometimes you feel like you've said the wrong thing or you walk away saying, that was stupid. Why in the world did I say that? I've done that many times. And other times you walk away having said nothing and you feel horrible about it. Uh, this is really a tough uh, thing to do and, and situation to be in. I really believe the ministry to grieving individuals and families can be one of the strongest and purposeful, intentional, impactful ministries the church can have. And it's something that can be and should be learned and practiced. I don't think it comes naturally. I think particularly in our Western individual society where people gut out things on their own, we're not always good at uh, understanding the role of community in someone's recovery and healing. That can also apply to any uh, hardship that people face, not just in the area of grief. So this is something that I think the church can and should take on as a ministry, again, a very purposeful ministry, and should not always be deferred to the professionals. So we're going to talk today about how to speak purposefully and intentionally to those who are going through the pains of loss. Uh, I might add here, and I'll put a link on, that uh, I wrote a little booklet called Did I Say the Right Thing?, uh, which addresses how to speak very intentionally to people who are suffering grief and loss. Uh, we're going to get a lot of help today from someone who's well-qualified to speak on this subject. His name is Pastor Dennis Dodge. Uh, he recently retired from serving for over 11 years as a hospice chaplain in Athens, Georgia. And prior to that, Dennis served as a pastor with the Christian Missionary Alliance for over 15 years. Uh, Dennis received his bachelor's degree from the University of Vermont in business administration and also an MDiv from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Massachusetts. But most importantly, he's been married to Sarah for almost 49 years. Way to go, Dennis. Way to go, Sarah. They have three grown children, 10 grandchildren. And since retiring, Dennis has enjoyed volunteering in bereavement support groups. I know in one case, he's been um, overseeing a grief group that someone in my family has been attending. And that person received tremendous help and encouragement from Dennis's ministry. Uh, so we've been on the receiving end of what he does. Uh, Dennis and Sarah live in Tacoa, Georgia. So let's go ahead and jump into that interview right now. I think you're going to find it extremely helpful. And let me encourage you again to pass this on to others. Let your elders hear it. Let your pastor hear it. Put it on Facebook. Help to spread the word about Before You Quit podcast. All right, let's go to it now. 
Okay, I'm excited to have here across the table from my office, uh, Dennis Dodge. Dennis, thank you so much for being part of this today. Glad to be here. I know that you come into this with a lot of experience as a pastor, uh, yes. and also more recently in your ministry career working with hospice. How many years were you a pastor? That was about 17 years, approximately, mostly up north. Okay, and um, and then when did you move into hospice work? And talk talk a little bit what led you into that. We and maybe describe what hospice is too. Most some people might not know what it is. Well, we came to Georgia because um, I had accounting training uh, in college mm -hmm. before I realized the Lord calling me to the ministry, mm -hmm. and uh, Doctor Alford. Uh, needed somebody with accounting training at Tocqueville Falls College. So we did that for a period of time, a few years, and um, then just kind of, okay, Lord was directing, let's try this. And it, it took a, a bit of time, but a friend of ours spotted an ad in the Athens paper that there was a hospice starting down there and uh, looking to find chaplains, nurses, all oh, that. Okay, okay. so most and, of your uh, ministry has been working with, with hospice then. Um, well, it was about 12 years. 12 years of that, okay. Yes. Uh, what does hospice do? You were a chaplain with hospice. Describe exactly what uh, that ministry's about. A chaplain in hospice is to be a spiritual support for a terminally ill patient and their caregiver or caregivers. Mm -hmm. And... Um, to support them in this process that, though not guaranteed, always results in yeah. death. Yeah. But um, they need the support to understand how their life can proceed if they want to know about the Lord Jesus. Mm -hmm. I, In the nature of things, uh, if, in a sense, a patient wants to know about those things, they say yes to having the chaplain come and visit. Yeah, um, They can say no, in which case mm -hmm. I don't get to see them. But uh, then those kinds of scenarios, there's a bereavement follow-up period for for the surviving family, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, several years ago, and you know this, I I uh, was part of a what's called clinical pastoral education program, which is to prepare for for hospice, and it, it's uh, it's really a, a fine line, you know, what you're allowed to talk about, and and so much of it is what the family's willing and desiring, and and you have to be very sensitive. So so being sensitive is a is a huge part of. Uh, Yes. ministry to to families and and uh you have to learn how how to speak what to say what not to say so the purpose uh dennis and and what we want to do in this podcast is really to help people uh to know how to minister well to people who are going through death uh or perhaps more likely family members uh who who are experiencing this but i think the the larger purpose here is the, the how can the church be be better at ministering to people who are who are going through loss, have gone through loss, and um, I, I've teased you with this a little bit. I wrote a book called "Did I Say the Right Thing?" several years ago, which is meant to be a resource to help Christians know how to talk uh, to people who've gone through loss. And in that book, I talk about when my son Travis was 
uh, was dying uh, almost uh, 18 years ago now. We lived here in Tacoa. You were in the church uh, where we were attending. And it was shortly, I think a month or so after he died. And I referenced this in the book without mentioning your name. But I, and in the book, I'm talking about the importance of sometimes not saying anything. You know, sometimes the best thing is to just say nothing. But you came up to me once and you had tears in your eyes and you gave me a huge bear hug and you said nothing. <laughs> And I, I forget what other people have said, but I've never forgotten what you did. And that shows the power of uh, what might seem like small things. So this is my formal way of thanking you for, <laughs> for that, uh, that imp the impact that that had on me. Glad I could help. <laughs> well, you did. You did. That bear hug was great. And those tears said a lot more than words could. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about um, you know some of the things perhaps that people might not understand about um, uh, chaplaincy in this field. You know when you're um, when you're ministering to people who are in hospice. Uh, what what are some of the things that probably some of the more important things people should know? I'll start with this. Just because a person gets admitted into hospice care doesn't necessarily mean they will die. And I say that because mm -hmm. lots of people think if you're on hospice, that's a death sentence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it has a negative stigma, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's not always that way. And we don't want churches to defer that responsibility to the professionals, to hospice. Uh, the church also has a role in ministering to families who are going through grief. I mean, we're we're recording this the week that that shooting in Texas happened. And yes. uh, you can bet that people are rallying together and and churches are trying to figure out what can we do to help. Um, but it, it, overall, what do you think that churches um, are, are missing in terms of this ministry opportunity to, to help people who are grieving? Well, it's kind of like what you shared about my hug. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people in church, when they know somebody there that's had a loved one pass away, they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Or say. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why, why is that? We, sh we sure know how to talk about a lot of other things, but when it comes to the critical matter of life and death, particularly in this case, death, we don't know what to say. It's kind of, it's a cultural thing in this country that death, <laughs> we hold it away. And because of that long-standing kind of thinking, when somebody we know mm -hmm. passes away, oh, it I can't go us. there. Yeah, um, it's a fear factor. And do you, do you feel that churches? When I say churches, I mean a church is made up of of people. Um, but what we're hoping here is that the out of this, the church can be more intentional in in their ministry to people who are grieving. That we again we defer this to people that know what they're doing, hospice chaplains, and then once the people are back. Uh, on their feet again, they'll come back and be part of the church. Um, should it be that way, or do you feel like churches should be doing a little bit more? Well, you may have to give the, a person that's had a loved one pass away a little bit of time, because the initial loss can be very difficult. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you sense that you could just go say, here I am, what can I do mm -hmm. to help you? One of the things we do in Grief Share 
is there's a page in there that helps those caregivers how to write a grief letter that helps explain how they can be helped. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And um, of course, and then that, that letter is given to who? To whoever they want to okay. give it okay. to, or say, "Here am I. Um, here's if you want to help. Here's how you can. Mm. You know, maybe you help them <laughs> take them out for lunch mm-hmm. sometimes because some people may just stay home. Yeah, yeah, because they be- may need help with. <laughs> you know, if if you if you've lost a spouse. And there's children in the home. They may need help explaining to the kids what's happened. Mm-hmm. So and you're saying the the key things that um, that we can do is be available. Yes. To uh, make contact and ask what can yeah. be done to help. One yeah. one of the one of the uh, biggest uh, again things that stand out to us when we experience loss were people that would just drop in with groceries um, and and sometimes did not call and ask. Uh, yeah, I might have a different take than some people on this, but I believe that I always tell people err on the side of being obnoxious than overly cautious. You know we. Mm-hmm. Uh, we feel like, uh, you know, because generally, in fact, we, we, we had this conversation in our neighborhood. There's someone who is suffering with cancer and someone asked me, well, do I call and ask if it's okay to drop in? I said, no, because they're going to say no, mm-hmm. uh, just drop in. And, and I have several times I'll just knock on the door and they're, they're not going to say, no, don't come in. Although I do ask, is this a bad time? Is this okay to come in? And, and my neighbor still did call, and sure enough, the, the person, the wife of the person suffering from cancer said, uh, no, this is not a good time. So, again, that's been my experience, maybe because of what I've gone through, but maybe as a pastor, uh, just do it without asking for permission. But you have, you have to be sensitive. You have to read the moment, don't you? Kind of a balance. Uh, it is, it you, is. Yeah. How, how do you read the moment? I mean, what, what, is, what are some tips that you would give to help people? Kind of sense if this is the right time, right thing to do. Because there's no script on what works best, right? Everybody's different. It's like, have you already had contact and relationship previously Mm -hmm. to know how they might think about making this contact now that's we're in this scenario? Mm -hmm. If you're not really close to somebody, it might be different than that. But if you kind of know them, take the risk. Yeah, we, go do it. Yeah, which is why family members are the most logical uh, yes. to offer support. Uh, church is meant to be family. Uh, does this call for perhaps having a uh, you know deeper relationships with people when things are healthy and good, and uh, you know not wait for a crisis to get to know people? And you kind of have to depend on the Holy Spirit for direction in these events mm. because. As a hospice chaplain, because I would get to have the contact once the patient passed away, it might be the first time that I'm touching base with the caregivers. Sure, sure. And there's a sense that got to touch base with them, see where they're at, you know, because their loved one just passed away. And no, so there is a sense of having to (laughs) take the chance and and move ahead and be maybe surprised at how you might be received. It may be that you hit them on the right day. Mm -hmm. 
Other times it may be the wrong day, and I'm saying don't give up then. Yeah, yeah, and if someone, either. if it feels like they're pushing you away, yeah. don't yeah. give up. Uh, it right. could be, it could yeah. be they just needed to react at that moment, and yes. they're, they're you're the first person that has been safe to yeah. to lash out at to you know show yes. some frustration or anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, and 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 again, I think this this stress again stressing the the importance of of, of doing something. Yeah, I think um, you you alluded earlier the fear of doing the wrong thing yeah. can sometimes keep us from doing anything. And and I found that people are forgiving. I mean, I've never I've never felt like I've done something like this perfectly right. Uh, but people are for, they they understand that it's hard. I mean, even though they're going through it, they're the ones that've experienced they lost. They know it's hard for you mm-hmm. coming into their story they know it's going to be hard and i think they they're not going to be able to show you right then but deep inside there's appreciation sometimes that comes later you know a month or two later you'll get a card and say hey i know i didn't show it when you were there but i really do appreciate that you you dropped by and and then that you called a week later uh you know you made some effort effort and we noted that yes and it did it did contribute more than it seemed like it did when you were when you were going through it can i share an illustration absolutely we had there's this couple. They lost an older adult. And the thing was, the husband, I've gotten to know fairly well because of prayer times at church, not so much the wife. Mm-hmm. Albeit, she knows who I am. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's casual. Yeah. Sunday morning, I just had an opportunity to talk with both of them. And today, we're going to have a special grief share event this Saturday and I got an email from the wife say she's coming because hmm. I, I didn't mention about that. That was, in a sense, was a risk, but knowing where they're at with the loss that happened, you know, this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I took a certain risk, but they yeah. were there. You know, and, and only those of us who have experienced it know this sense of feeling isolated and alone. Uh, yes. you, you feel like a stranger in a crowd when you've lost someone. And, and it often takes just one or two people that were that will consistently go out of their way to stand in, in front of you and acknowledge you because when you're acknowledging the person you're acknowledging their pain yes. you know and, and an arm on the shoulder, a hug, mm-hmm. uh, I'm praying for you. How's it going today? You know, just small little things can be yes. part of the healing process. And when we ask what can the church do better, I, I think it's having several people who are uh, gifted and, and placed. Um, to intentionally be available to people who are who are going through loss, and 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 as much as you can, train the church, teach the church yes. how they can be better at at helping people that are going through loss. I mean, the standard thing is you get a meal uh, together and right. take me. That's great, great stuff. Yes. Um, I I personally like the contact with people. Uh, food is great, but yes, uh, if you just dr- drop a meal off at my doorstep, knock the door, and leave, uh, yeah. you, you've lost something with me, you know. Yes. <laughs> but yes. uh, the best advice I ever heard was bring a meal and come in the house and have the meal with the with the family. Yeah, uh, true we too. we've had people do that with us. We have done that a few times with people, and um, and it motivates you to make a better meal that way too. If you're going to have it yes. with them, <laughs> yes. <laughs> My wife's an excellent cook. There so. you go. There you go. <laughs> Dennis, how how are people different after they've experienced 
the death of a loved one. When you love someone, whether it be a spouse, parent, relative, sometimes children, that kind of leaves, that's what the grief is. Mm -hmm. It's the sense of loss that this person's no longer here for me to talk to, mm-hmm. be relating to. And and that's the sense of what is the root cause of the grief. But what we try to do with that then is help them, <laughs> what's wrong with me? And they may not at first realize it's this sense of loss because that person's not here anymore. And we're going to help them walk to a place where I want to get back to normal, mm-hmm. but it's not the normal that you've known previously. Sure. It's, yeah. So we call a, a new normal. A new yeah. normal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we're. Yeah. Well, C.S. Lewis uses the example of a, of an amputated limb, a leg, for example. When he yes. lost his wife, mm-hmm. uh, he felt the the phantom pains. Yes. Uh, but look down and the leg is gone. The spouse yes. was gone. But what he what he talks about getting to is is where you learn to limp well. You're you're gonna limp, yes. yeah. but you're gonna get to a place eventually where you're gonna limp well. Yes. And um, you know we're able to give testimony in our family having experienced this. That it, it takes five years. They they say typically five years. Takes a while. Uh, it takes a while. It's different for everybody, but you do eventually limp well. If you've the, known this person for X oh number goodness, of years, yes, yeah. you're not going to get over it today yeah. or even tomorrow. But this begs the question, do people learn to limp well on their own ever without the support of others? I'd have to say that's exceedingly unusual. Rare. Yeah. Um, it's more for the fact that, that they need to, in a sense, interact with others who are in similar situations. Mm-hmm. How, However... Putting the onus on them to be back in community is a little unfair uh, because they're the ones that are hurting and it's hard to be around people sometimes. So how can the community, the church, be proactive knowing that, hey, part of their healing is they need community. They need us. And we're kind of sometimes watching the person who's lost someone. Uh, you know, hey, they haven't been in church three weeks. Oh, they showed up. Wonderful. Uh, oh, they came two weeks in a row. Oh, they must be doing well. But mean, meantime, you know, like it was for me, I could not sing the hymns and the choruses for years uh, because I, I felt so isolated in, in a sanctuary surrounded by a lot of people. So how, how can the, the community of believers, the church, be more intentional, realizing that that person will heal best with our help, but let's not put the onus on them only. How can we be part of that? How does that work? And, and have you seen examples of that work? I know one example is the grief share that you do. Could yes. talk about that. Because the church offers that. This may seem an example that you haven't realized, but maybe you have. All this talk that Jesus did that he was going to die and rise again on the third day, his disciples were decidedly grieved, but... Mm-hmm. There's a sense that he was preparing them for something really hard. Mm. Once he rose from the dead, their joy was amazing. Mm. You couldn't take it out Mm -hmm. of them Mm -hmm. once they Mm -hmm. realized. Mm. And it's kind of like we've got to be that way in Mm -hmm. community. I love that. I love that. So Jesus, Jesus invited his disciples to be part of the grieving preparing for his death with him yes so that when he was resurrected the joy was even more immense yes that's profound 
I love yes. that. No, I have not really thought of that. Thank you for that. That will be something that I will add to my it's arsenal. Like in John 17, he, he said, Lord, Father, I've accomplished the work you gave me to do. And then in chapter 19 on the cross, he said, mm-hmm. it's finished. Mm-hmm. Now, even though those verbs are, look different, they're from the same mm-hmm. root. Mm-hmm. And he's saying he had accomplished what the Father had for him. Mm. And I take that to mean if it's that way with Jesus, we've got to realize how that can be so for us. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. That's good. That's very encouraging to hear as well. What What is hard for uh, when people have experienced loss, uh, when they come back into into community, what, what do you find, if you've observed them, what, what do you see is, you know, the one or two hardest things for them when they, when they do come back into community? You might say the first Sunday they come back, there's a sense they may be tense mm-hmm. because there may be this multitude of people. How are you doing? Mm-hmm. And that may be very difficult. Mm. Um, Should we not say that? Um, Maybe just give them a hug. <laughs> <laughs> say nothing. If you have that freedom with yeah. them, that's part of me. Some of the best things I've heard uh, from people is being honest I don't know what to say right now. Yes. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what to say, but can I just give you a hug? Or or I just want to let you know I love you. You know, simple things that show yes. an effort at least. Um, but again, it, it, I think it's so important for at least several people that are that are positioned to be available. Yes. Uh, and long term, not just the first couple of weeks. Uh, you know, I right. think sometimes a month, two months into this, because uh, they do come back different. You know, they, they come back to community. There's there's significant part of them that's missing that's no longer mm-hmm. with them. That was their security for some of them. Yes, and and, true. and now they're back in community. And singing songs, you know, it's going to be hard. Uh, do we do well? Um, do we do well with the... the Does does our, our worship allow for um, a place to acknowledge suffering and hurt? This is a practical step. At our church, we have a room. We, it's known as the prayer room, mm-hmm. but it's a place where where you can go and have silence, perhaps not anybody else there. Mm. And Mm. there's always a box of Kleenex in Mm -hmm. that room in case you are really emotional over something that Mm -hmm. took place. And just to get back to a sense of hopefully calm Mm. in the midst of this that's going on in your heart. Mm. I I urge that, well, whatever pastors may see this, think about how you could have a room that people know they can go to if they really can't face Mm. the crowd. It's helpful. And it's not just grieving people that are coming to church on Sunday with heaviness on their heart. And this is is where, again, our... Our choice of music, our choice of liturgy, scripture, I think sometimes, I mean, not that I'm saying we do it wrong, uh, but I don't know if we have the conversation enough. Uh, about the the reality of what people are going through when they come, and do our song choices, do our scripture resonate with the heaviness that people bring, and that that could be one way of uh, of a church uh, having a conversation, maybe out of what we're talking about here, which is strictly about death, mm. 
but death is not the only thing people are struggling with. They're struggling right. with conflict in marriage, relationship, financial issues. People come on Sundays and they're not always in a mood to clap and sing the, the the happy songs. You know, there needs to be there there ought to be some conversation about how does even our music provide a place for people to uh, to to rest their soul, their heavy souls into. You know, and and there are some great hymns, some choruses that do that. I know the the chorus, uh, "Bless the Lord, O my soul." He 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 gives he takes away every time I sing that chorus. One of my favorite choruses. He gives he takes away. I think about what he's taken away from me, and then I reflect on what he's given to me. Has your reaction to that song, is it different from back then oh yes now? yes yeah i again yeah. i i alluded earlier uh, well i don't think that song was there when when my son died i think that's probably about 10 years old but uh but it allowed, it allowed me to go back and and to uh, have uh further healing um and and worship has uh, i think for everybody has uh, plays a role in our in our recovery from from loss it plays a role in our uh, resting the the heaviness uh in in worship in in that time you know of, of congregational singing and worship fellowship together with others uh so yeah again uh, i think this hopefully what we do here today can can spawn some conversations about how as a church we're providing the right thing a balance in in what uh our people are going through one of the things that i experienced as a hospice chaplain was there were times when the family didn't have a minister to do a memorial service or a funeral mm-hmm. service and i would typically step into that, Mm. I would definitely go and talk with the family to see what it was they were looking for in that service. Sometimes, and even though hospice chaplains are supposed to, in a sense, keep their faith to themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And and not... react emotionally and get Mm. tied in, Mm. but you can't avoid, there are those patients (laughs) that you get tied to, Mm -hmm. and um, kind of knowing how I was going to share about that person would be emotional. Mm. One of the things I would do when those came was I would practice what I was saying so that in a sense the emotional tearful Mm -hmm. that I could, in a sense, have control Mm -hmm. because I don't want to start crying Mm-hmm. That can elicit, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a family crying and yeah. and so on. Yeah. So sometimes you, you you have to help yourself so that you can do the very best mm-hmm. for those family members. Yeah, that's that's great, uh, great perspective. Uh, we've referred to grief share a couple times. That's something that that if churches want to be more intentional in ministering to people who are grieving, describe just real briefly what grief share is. Grief share is, well, they're out of North Carolina, but they're all over the United States Mm -hmm. with support groups all over. In fact, uh, just this past January, they've offered it to be available in Spanish language if, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't take a minister to mm-hmm. to run this program. Okay, well, it's a it's a it's a group uh, event, and yes. they you you you, you generally people that have lost someone come to it. A widow, right. widow, parent of, and um, it's a book that you work through. Touches on all the aspects of grief. There's basically a video by okay um, a couple that um, 
have experienced the loss of okay. actually two children. Mm. And um, and they share a video that's, oh, 35, 40 minutes. Then we'll have a discussion what we saw. Mm. And there is a workbook. And basically, they're working through each week um, what a particular lesson in the workbook's about. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of this three-pronged thing. Mm-hmm. Video discussion workbook. Okay, and and I'm sure a large value comes from talking, from sharing with others. Right. Yeah. One yeah. of the things we always say when new people come is, we will not require you to talk, because mm-hmm. it may take a while. Sure. And um, so we, you know, we wait. We mm-hmm. we had a a young lady who lost a young child, and it took. So glad we said. You don't have to mm. unless you want to. Mm. Um, it took a while into the 13-week support period mm. before that mom started sharing. Mm. But she did walk this path. Mm-hmm. And till we got to the end, well, she shared with us near the end that she was expecting again mm. and mm. expressed that with joy <laughs> to no, the class. That's a great, great story. Great so, story. Mm. This is a ministry to all ages. Yeah, and I know I know the church you attend offers this. You have people in the community yes. that come, so it's not just a, a ministry to the commu- the church community, but the the community at large. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for uh, your perspective on this and for giving your your life to serve in this way. And thank you also for the the hug and tears that you (laughs) provided for me years ago. And um, uh, may may the Lord continue to use you as you bless and love others who are going through these hard times. Thank you. You are so welcome. there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions or want to share anything with me about what we've talked about today and Before You Quit or on any other podcast, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.